It was in a key moment from the sixth Rocky movie, Rocky Balboa, that the title character, the Italian stallion, was having a serious chat with his son when he dropped this often quoted piece. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life, but it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That is how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, then go out and get what you're worth. This scene came to mind when I was talking to Jessica Furland this week. Jessica has achieved a lot in her career so far, making multiple national teams as a youth, as a junior, and as a senior, as well as holding the national 3,000 meter steeplechase record for a few seasons. Now, unfortunately, we haven't heard much from Jessica over the last few years due to some nagging injuries, ultimately leading to a surgery date this past year. With that now behind her, Jessica has her work cut out for her with dreams of the Olympics, lowering the national record again, and returning to steeple dominance. What you're about to hear is a story of perseverance, patience, and hopefully of redemption. What you're about to hear is the story of Jessica Furlan. This is the Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. Okay, so there's a lot to talk about, obviously, uh, and probably in- including some context to, to this first question. Uh, but first, I do want to quote something that I saw on your Instagram. Uh, people can, can follow that at Canada. That's J-E-S-S-I-C-A-N-A-D-A. Um, just an excerpt from a post that said, But there was one bright little light, because today, for the first time in over six months, I ran. It may have only been for two minutes, but it was something. I want you to describe that feeling of coming back to running. Uh, it was a really nice feeling <laughs> to be able to run. Uh, I haven't been able to run at all. Um, I mean, I probably could have run, but I knew that that was not what was best for my body and my foot for the past six months because of the injury and the surgery that I had. So um, I just I just waited and was patient and so being able to run for the first time felt really, really nice when you're used to your days revolving around running and running almost every single day, twice a day, most days, hmm. not being able to do that for that extended period of time is really difficult. You you mentioned something about, uh, you know, maybe finding a little bit of peace and a little bit of understanding in running, but obviously uh, you are very competitive as well. So I wonder how you reconcile those two things that you find in running, the competitive chaos versus the running as more of a peaceful refuge. Yeah. You know, I love, I love to compete and I love to push myself in, in practice um, daily, but I also, I think, um, I think not being able to run um, because of the surgery and because of the injuries, it really showed me how much I love running for the pure uh, enjoyment of it and how much I missed that part of it, you know, even more than the competitive purpose. And I only had the surgery so that I could compete. If I wasn't going to try and compete, um, I wouldn't have had surgery. But um, yeah, definitely realizing how much you miss just being able to go out for an easy run with your friends or um, those types of things or being able to run through a new city or any of those types of things. There's so many different reasons that I enjoy running. And I think the competitive aspect of it is definitely one of them, but 
uh, I'm definitely missing the other part, the pure enjoyment part of it more so right now. Uh, up on your blog right now, jessicanada.wordpress.com, uh, there's a full write-up on what you've been through with your injury and that sort of stuff. However, I'm wondering if you could uh, just give a quick rundown of what you've been through in, say, the past year. Sure. So, actually, I would probably go back to 2015, because that's kind of where it started. Hmm. Um, I had a... Um, I fractured my foot and really probably um, my race at Peyton Jordan that year where I ran an Olympic and world qualifying time. Um, after that race, I could not walk properly, never mind run. So um, it turned out that I had a stress fracture. Um, and so didn't find that out for about a month afterwards because the symptoms were really quite different than any other stress fracture I've experienced or anyone I've talked to has experienced. So uh, it was frustrating. It took that long to diagnose, but once we found that out, took time off and then slowly built back up and things were going really great until about mid January of 2016 when I was down in Arizona and I'd done a really, had a really great workout uh, a day or two before. And then was in the gym doing some light weights and went out for an easy run after the weight session. And my foot just did not feel right. And it felt kind of similar to the pain or tightness. I wouldn't even say I had pain when I first fractured my foot, um, but it just felt tight along the outside and it felt like that again. And I came back from the run and told when he was there and um, got treatment and then took it easy. The next couple of days was in the pool, tried some easy running on the alter G and it just wasn't getting better after a week. And so I came back to Victoria and got a, um, a scan and it showed that the fracture was back. It, I don't know if it had ever really fully healed. Um, it's a really strange strange fracture that was caused by this um, tissue I had between my calcaneus and my navicular, something I was just born with. There's nothing I could have done to prevent it from happening and surprised that it took as long as it did to fracture, to be honest. So um, it was just really, really bad timing that it, it happened right before world championships and again before the Olympics. Um, so I, because it was, it was an Olympic year and the pain uh, didn't seem to be getting any worse. We modified my training and tried, tried to keep training on it, hoping that I'd be able to um, be able to make the Olympic team still. And it didn't happen, but I know that I did absolutely everything in my power to, to get there and that there's nothing that I could have done to prevent this fracture from happening. So you underwent uh, underwent the knife, I guess, uh, a little bit earlier last year or later last year. Yeah. What are what are the chances? Like, are you completely out of the woods now, um, as as far as those issues go, or is there a chance that that could come back? Um, how effective is the surgery? Um, so this surgery, this fracture, it was um, it was called a um, anterior process fracture of my calcaneal head. So. I don't know 
anybody, I, me saying that probably doesn't mean a lot to people, but basically your, your bones should move past one another, like glide past one another. And because I had that tissue, my, they, 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 they didn't, my navicular would hit my calcaneus and it fractured. And so the surgery that I had, um, they took, they took the tissue out. They shaved both my calcaneus and my navicular down and they put three screws in in my calcaneus to strengthen that area and one sort of anchor screw um they took a muscle and anchored it over my navicular so that the tissue wouldn't grow back um so it's really you know there's not much to base it off of because it's so so uncommon so the there's nothing really telling you um telling me how successful it's going to be, which is a bit scary, but it was also really the only option that I saw and Wynn saw. And um, so that's what we decided to do. And um, it was going pretty well. Everything, everyone's really happy. I mean, the surgeon is really happy. Uh, Wynn's really happy with it. Dr. McCluskey, um, our national team doctor, he's quite happy with it. My chiropractor, everyone is amazed at how much better my foot moves than it ever has before. Um, and so, yeah, in that sense, it's, it's really great. Um, but I am currently having a little bit of difficulty. It's a little bit tight on the top of my foot. So, um, there may be the anchor screw might have come out from the navicular and might be embedded in some scar tissue there and so I might have to get that removed I'm not sure yet uh, I'll get another scan in a week or two maybe when I'm back in BC um, and and see about that but um, for the most part things are things are really good but it is going to be a really long long process of coming back it's not like I'm going to be back racing this summer that's extremely unlikely you can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, from reading your blog, the feeling that I got that uh, with the decision to have this surgery also came the decision whether you want to continue on in the sport at the level that you're at or, or if you wanted to hang up the spikes. Yeah. Was that the case and was it was it a tough decision to make? Um, I think most people would expect that it was a really tough decision. <laughs> But to be honest, it, it wasn't like surgery doesn't really scare me. Uh, and I, I'm not, I do not feel ready to be done competing. I think that I have a lot better performances in me than I've been able to, to get out there just because of this injury. But, um, so, I mean, if it works, the surgery works, then I'm hoping that I will be able to get those performances out but um if it doesn't it doesn't and I know that I tried it but I I knew that I wasn't ready to be done competing yet and I if I didn't have surgery the likelihood of this fracture coming back and me having to go through this entire cycle again that I had to go through the past two years uh I did not want to have to go through that again so surgery was the best option and it was for me, actually a pretty easy decision to make. 
with all these injuries, I have to think that there is probably a lot of cross training involved. And um, I think most runners who have been injured, which I would imagine is a lot of them, will probably tell you that cross training is just the absolute worst. What what strategies did you employ to get through all those you know massive cross training hours? I don't know. I was thinking about that today. I was in the pool uh, here. And I did about an hour and 15 minutes today in the pool, a combination of pool running and swimming. And that was pretty, that's pretty normal for me to be in the pool anywhere from an hour to an hour and 45 minutes. And it goes by faster when you, when you're in the pool than you think it will. But, um, I think it's just internal motivation, a lot of it, and looking at what your long-term goals are and, knowing that you'll feel better about yourself if you get out there and do some form of cross training. And also just, I mean, when you, the first couple of weeks after I had surgery and um, after I had uh, took time off, when I first found out I had the fracture, when I wasn't doing any cross training at all, because we just wanted to be able to my let my body fully focus on healing that's when you go a little bit stir crazy. Um, but once you kind of get back into it and you see what your long-term goals are, it's, I find it easier. Um, and I've also done a lot of training by myself. So cross training by myself. I mean, it's a lot better when you have teammates to do it with you, but I don't ever want my teammates to be injured. So, uh, you know, you just get used to it. You you held the 3,000-meter Canadian steeplechase record for a very long time. Actually, I think, I think it was a pretty good run of about a year and a bit uh, of 9.33.45. Uh, that, that record went down uh, this past summer after a couple of years. Do you have any attachment to that record? Like, were you super bummed to see it go? No. You know, I... I'm really glad that Jen Genevieve Lalonde got that record. I knew she was going to be really close to it and it was only a matter, a matter of time before she took it from me, but I really don't see it as as her taking it from me. I just see her as lowering it. And um, I think that we'll see it go down quite a bit more. I hope we do anyways. Um, And I mean, I planned, I was planning on taking it down quite a bit more (laughs) the past two years, but uh, that didn't happen, but hopefully in another year or two, I will be able to. But yeah, there's a lot of young girls um, coming up right now that are making the steeple field more competitive, and hopefully we just keep kind of pushing that record down. It was pretty soft, I would have to say, when I first said it, and then when I said it again later that summer in 20. 20- 2014 when it took it down to 933 I think that's a little bit better but I still think you know it's a long ways to go to be competitive internationally and um so that I think is really what we should be aiming for well well you've mentioned uh Genevieve Lalonde and uh the increasingly uh, great steeple field here in Canada. I did want to talk a little more about that. Uh, our current mark was yes. set at the Olympics uh, in what I thought was a very respectable showing for the steeple. Uh, it had to be a little bit mixed for you, you know, seeing seeing 
the the sepal program in our country do so well but sitting at home uh during the olympics what were the emotions uh what were you going through at, at that point watching that race go down um you know talking about it now i feel more emotional about it than i think i did <laughs> during the olympics um world championships last summer was a lot harder for me to watch and pan am games than the olympics were this summer to be honest, uh, because I, I didn't know why I had the stress fracture and it just seemed really unfair to me. <laughs> unfair maybe isn't the right word, but um, I had missed qualifying for the 2012 Olympics, which that wasn't a huge surprise, but 2013, I missed qualifying for the world championships by like barely any time at all. I hit the last barrier in a race on the last day of qualifying when I was going to run a qualifying time for sure. And I, I've never hit a barrier before in a race ever. And I did that day and that was just heartbreaking. And then, um, and then the next summer I missed qualifying for Commonwealth games by 0.89 seconds on the last day. It was a really early qualifying period. Um, and so then to qualify, um, you know, wasn't expecting to qualify and to run the time that I did and then not be able to represent Canada at the Pan Am Games at home, an experience I'm never going to be able to get again and not to go to world championships. Like that was really hard. Um, I talked about it in my blog, but I'm, I'm not a very emotional person, but I don't know. Like I cried more last summer, I think, than I ever have you know in my whole life combined so um but this summer watching watching the olympics i was really happy for i was happy for the steeple girls but a lot of other people as well and it wasn't as hard as i thought it was going to be um because i i knew i had done absolutely everything that i could have done i understood why i had the fracture now that it it wasn't my fault there's nothing that i did or didn't do um, and I really did absolutely everything that I could have done. And I had the best team around me, you know, helping me to try and get there and, and it didn't happen. And it, it, there's nothing else I could have done. So I, I was happy for the girls and other athletes were there, that were there. And I think also knowing, knowing a lot of them personally and what they have gone through to get there, that was really great to be able to see them fulfill their Olympic dreams, even though that I wasn't there too. I was happy for the athletes that were there. We're talking with uh, Jessica Furlan right now, uh, a steeplechase runner. You can find her on Twitter at Jessica underscore Furlan. That's F-U-R-L-A-N. Uh, you mentioned a little bit earlier that there is a really young, uh, but a very promising steeple field uh, right now in Canada. What, uh, Maybe that being one of them, what what are some of the changes that you've noticed since coming into the sport? You know, how has the field changed uh, since you entered the sport as, I guess, a, a junior? Um, I started running steeple in 2005, actually, in the Canada Games. And at that point, they didn't even have steeple in the Olympics for women. Um, and, but yeah, so through... Coming up as a youth athlete and a junior athlete when people was um, available, uh, 
there weren't a lot of girls running steeple and it's just, it's really a fairly new event for women since it's only been in the Olympics since 2008, I believe. So, um, yeah, it's just really improved across the board. And you've seen that with times, um, just dropping like exponentially from even from the last world championships, I would say, um, to the Olympics this year, like times have just gotten way faster to get into a final, um, or even make a team. But, um, yeah, this year in particular, um, the women's steeple, the women's steeple field got really good. And, um, I think there's just more people trying it out maybe, and maybe more people figuring out that's their little niche or, um, yeah, I don't know how to word it exactly, but um, it's been great to see the increase in the number of girls competing in the steeple and just elevating it across the board. And I think it's it's good for them to have to have more people to be competing against because when I started, there really weren't that many girls doing steeple. I ran against Danelle Woods and Chantal Grunwald um, when I was younger, but uh, other than those two girls and then Jen, um, Jen and I were at world youth together in 2007, but she ran the 15, 1500. And then I don't know, I think she ran, she ran steeple in 2012 at world juniors when they were in Moncton in her hometown, but I wasn't a junior then. Um, and then I went to university, um, down in the U S and I had lots of competition there, but it's been great to see, um, the Canadian women step step it up in the steeple and have so many of us with world qualifying times. I uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about your coach. We talked a little bit off the record about uh, about your coach, Wynn Gmitrowski. Um He's he's coached a bunch of of well known runners, uh, including Nate Brennan and and Matthew Hughes, both guys that we've had on the show who have who have spoke so highly of him. Uh, obviously it's, it's working for you. You've been with him for quite a while now. What makes him the right coach for you? Um, you know, he is, I'm a little bit biased obviously, but I really think that he is the best coach that I could ask for. And I think you'd really be hard pressed to find a coach anywhere in the world with his, uh, specific skill set. Um, and so for those listening that don't know, Wynn is, uh, also a physiotherapist. So he, he's my coach. He writes my strength program and he also is my physiotherapist. So there's absolutely zero loss communication because it's everything wrapped into one. And he's so knowledgeable about all of those things that, you know, he's watching you run and then he's treating you later and says, Oh, that makes sense that this is tight because you were running a certain way or, you know, or he'll be treating you and then see you run the next day and go, Oh yeah, you're running this way because I was treating you and, or this seems tight or that type of thing. Um, and he's just, I, in my opinion, he's brilliant. And I really, really enjoy having him as a coach. And he really, he just, um, 
he just focuses really on the whole well-being of the athlete and just really cares about his athletes. And, um, yeah, I think anyone that has been lucky enough to have him as a coach would, would say the same thing and speak as highly of him as all the other athletes you've interviewed <laughs> have spoken of him. I should mention that, uh, that I've also had Peter Corrigan on. He's he said the same thing. It, you know, it seems to be pretty much across the board. I've never met Wynn, but I only have uh, I I only have the utmost respect for for the guy after hearing from from all his athletes. And, and I have to say, uh, you're pretty much uh, in in the same as as what some some of the other people have said. Um, I do. I want to talk about Fast and Female. You are an ambassador for this organization. I don't think a lot of people yeah. know who they are. So maybe you could explain who they are and, and what they mean to you. For sure. Um, so Fasting Female was or is an organization. Um, it was started by Chandra Crawford, who is, uh, was a Canadian cross-country ski athlete. Um, she won a gold medal in Torino in the skate sprint. And the year before she won that medal, I think she was babysitting and some young girl said she didn't really like participating in sports or something along those lines and that it wasn't fun. And so she started this organization with her cross-country ski teammates called Fast and Female. And their mission statement, I guess, is to uh, empowerment for girls through sport. So it started out pretty much pretty small with cross-country skiing and has just spread um, to all different types of sports and they have big events for girls some are a couple hours some are all day long um and a variety of different sports but for me specifically I was a participant in fast and female when I was 16 and 17 um I wrote an essay saying what it meant to be to be fast and female and that year they selected um, one girl from every province across the country and based on their essays and we stayed with the host family in Canmore and for the weekend and went to the fast and female event and uh, it was just a really really awesome experience for me and it really showed me how much my personal athletic achievements can be used for a lot greater good than just, you know, my own personal, uh, my personal achievements. And uh, so now I'm an ambassador like Chandra was at that point. And so it's really great to be part of it from the other side. And I've been able to go to two of the big summit events in Calgary the past two years. And then I was at another one in Vancouver this fall and yeah, it's just, I, it's a really great organization. And so if you look it up on their website, if you have girls, know any girls between <laughs> ages eight to 18, sign them up for an event. They'll love it. Well, you, you mentioned Chandra as, as kind of a role model figure. Um, now you're in that position where perhaps there, there are girls who are, who are looking up to what you're doing or boys. They could be out there uh, looking up to what you're doing as well. Yeah. Uh, you've certainly done quite a bit. What are some of the characteristics that you see in your own role models uh, that you try and emulate and, and bring forward? Um, you know, I just think role models to me are people who 
they love what they're doing and you can you can tell it's clear that they genuinely love what they're doing and they have a passion for it and they're humble and they they reach out and they want to give back to their communities or their sport in some way but it's not it's not a forced thing it's just a natural a natural thing and i think that's really what sticks out to me what i see as a role model you mentioned uh, earlier that uh, you were from Saskatchewan, uh, came from Manitoba initially, not really, yeah. uh, not not really perhaps for someone with the Ontario blinders on, not really a hotbed for, for track and field. However, Saskatchewan has produced uh, some really great athletes yourself. Uh, Kelly Weeb also comes to mind. What's the development system like in Saskatchewan? Um, you know, I was just really lucky to have some great, great coaches when I was, um, when I was growing up, not just in track and field, but other sports as well. But, um, right now there's my club at home in Saskatchewan, uh, Excel Athletica. It's great. They, it's too bad because they have so many people wanting, wanting to participate and we just physically don't have enough space that I don't, I think they have to close registration. Um, but um, I, there were a good group of girls that I trained with, um, through high school, elementary school, even, um, that we really supported one another. And I was lucky in that sense, um, to have that group. And then once I got into high school, um, I had a coach, Larry Longmore, who, um, he was just really focused on long-term athlete development and, I was really lucky to have him as a coach and he coached me from, I think about grade end of grade nine or maybe beginning of grade 10 through, through grade 12. Um, and that was the development program for me, um, which I don't necessarily think is the case with what it is like right now, but I do think it's, it's, we're going to see a bit of more of a resurgency of the track and field in the province because um, the club, especially in Regina, because the club is so big and there's such a great number of athletes that they'll push each other and it'll, you will see some improvement and some athletes coming out of there. I think with uh, running the whole psychology end of thing, is is just really fascinating for me, especially on the elite side. Uh, I do want to talk to you a little bit because so early in your career, um, you were part of you know international races, uh, whether that be you know uh, on the youth scale or on the youth end of things or or in the junior ranks. Uh, you got to represent the can or the you know the Canadian flag fairly early on. Is do those experiences, do you find that they have helped you or do you find that they've added a little more pressure to you as you've, have you, as you've gotten older? Um, you know, I, I do not think that they added any more pressure to me or I don't feel like they did. And maybe that's partially my own sense of it, but I also think that was my support team around me, um, you know, not thinking not making it seem like that added any pressure to, to it. I think they definitely, those experiences definitely helped me um, and just motivated me more than, than anything um, to, to keep, 
keep competing and keep making national teams. I remember the first time I got my national team kit, it was for world cross and it was, I was so excited, you know, and putting that uniform on was like the greatest feeling ever. And it was just after that point, it was like, I just want to keep, keep making teams because that feeling of representing Canada um, was amazing. And so it was definitely motivating. I don't think it, it hurt me at all, but I also have to attribute that to, um, you know, my coach and my parents and everyone that supported me um, while I was growing up. They never put any, never put any pressure on me. And I, I definitely didn't feel any pressure like, oh, I made the world youth team. I have to make the world junior team. Um, it was just more internal motivation. Like I want to make that team because I made the world youth team and it was so much fun and it was such a great experience. And I love representing team Canada. The latest blog post on your on your blog site, uh, which is jessicanada.wordpress.com. Uh, I highly suggest that people check it out. Uh, you're very, very well written, uh, I must say. But it's it's entitled Luck, which I think is, is interesting because there are a lot of athletes in a lot of different sports who have a very interesting relationship with luck. I mean, you, you hear some athletes say that, you know, luck is for losers and, and the best luck that you can have is, is preparing. But, you know, I do think that there is an element of, I guess you would say luck for lack of a better term, uh, when it does come to performing at that high of a level, what, what's your relationship with luck? Um, well, I think with a blog post, it really was just, about the fact that I had no control over the injury that I got. Um, but, and I, I think I start out the blog post talking about that. I've always been a big believer in that you make your own luck or that I've always believed that I've been lucky. And so I have been, or that's the way I like to look at it. Um, and maybe other people would look at my situation and go, Oh yeah, but like this happened and that happened, that's pretty unlucky or that's bad. But I am definitely the type of person that looks at the positive side of things, always looking at the positive aspect of something rather than the negative one. Um, but luck, yeah, I don't, I think luck in situations like the fact that I moved from Winnipeg to Regina, um, I mean, in that, in that scenario, I was six and, I hated my life when I moved to Regina. Like I, I didn't go to school, didn't go to kindergarten half the time because I was so upset. I moved away from all my family, but now looking back, I think that was probably the greatest thing that I could have done. I moved to the city and I ended up, you know, meeting amazing people and having great coaches. And had I stayed in Winnipeg, I, we would not be having this conversation right now. I really don't think that I would have had the development as an athlete um, and the experiences that I've had. So I think in that sense, like that's lucky, you know, or um, going to the University of Nebraska, maybe didn't have the greatest uh, university career that I would have hoped for. But I think a lot of other things that came out of that, um, whether it's, you know, that I didn't get severely injured while I was there and that I had great coaches and, you know, met some of my best friends from there that's lucky too and um so I think in that sense like maybe 
other people don't think of those things as luck, but I do. You know, speaking on your blog, um, and also uh, we've mentioned your, your Twitter, which is at Jessica underscore Furlan, uh, as well as your Instagram at Jessica Canada. You know, all the, all those sorts of things, they kind of tie into a conversation that has really been what I've I've witnessed in in the community has really been taking place, um, and that's the whole idea of having runners as also being marketers, as as working as marketers for their sponsors. Um, you know, where not only are they just supposed to run fast now, but they're also supposed to be basically running their own marketing campaign so they can keep a hold of their sponsors. What do you think about that? Yeah. What do you think about that evolving role of of what an athlete is supposed to be? Yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing. I think, you know, my generation, that's our reality. And even, you know, five, ten years ago, that was not the case at all because Twitter and Instagram were Twitter was around but it wasn't really that popular and Instagram, you know, it wasn't up but now you know, what's the first thing people do when they get up in the morning is they check their phones and, you know, you're just constantly being bombarded with pictures and Twitter and those types of things. And I think it's a fine balance between people who, you know, are are genuine and you can tell they're genuine. And then the people who are just overly self-promoting or promoting their sponsor all the time. And it, it gets to be too much sometimes, um, in my opinion. Um, but you know, it's not necessarily them and, you know, their sponsors telling them they have to do it or they feel like they have to. And I think that's really too bad because you should be able to have, you know, your own kind of, you should be able to show your persona, I think online and speak about things that you feel that are important to you or that you want to speak about without, worrying about how it could affect you. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely a strange kind of <laughs> strange kind of thing, but it, it's just how the way, how the world works now, I think. And there's not really a whole lot you can do to change it in my opinion. Well, we, we've gone through what's happened over the past couple of years um, and, and where you're at right now. Um, but I want to know, what uh, what is the next year looking like for Jessica Verlan? Um, Well, <laughs> right now, we're just taking it pretty, pretty slow, day by day. Um, my walk-run program started out a couple weeks ago, and that started out at 30 seconds of running and four and a half minutes of walking over four times, like over 20 minutes. So that was two minutes of running total. And every second day I'd get to increase the running by 15 seconds and decrease the walking by 15 seconds. Um, so I was going well until this little bit of a setback with a little bit of soreness in the top of my foot. So um, a little bit in limbo, limbo right now, but uh, really just long-term goal um, competitive goal right now. Uh, I would really like to compete at Commonwealth, um, but we will see about that. Uh, they haven't put out any selection criteria for that yet, and I'm sure they won't for a while, but it is early next year. So, um, And Commonwealth selection criteria dates 
qualifying dates are generally pretty early. So um, that'll be potentially kind of difficult to, <laughs> to make. But right now, just taking it a day at a time, really, and focusing on making sure my foot is healing properly and that I won't have any um, negative consequences from this long-term. When I decided to have surgery, um, the surgeon said, you know, it probably will be about six months before you can run. Um, so really starting the walk run a couple weeks ago was ahead of schedule because everyone was so happy with the way my foot was uh, was moving and had responded to this, the surgery and the treatment that I was getting and the amount of cross training I was able to handle. Um, but I really shouldn't have been starting to run until, until March or even April. So, um, it's going to be a long process and it's hard for me to, to know exactly what I'm going to be doing, but I will be in Victoria for sure. Probably most of the year continuing to, uh, get back into running and I'll, I'll be there so that I can continue to see when on a regular basis. So he can be monitoring that and treating, treating me. We've uh, been talking to Jessica Furlan, the, uh, the current women's 2000 meter steeplechase record holder, uh, nationally. Uh, I believe you still hold that one. Um, and the former and hopefully future, uh, Canadian 3000 meter steeplechase, uh, record holder, uh, nationally as well. Uh, we wish you all the best, uh, as, as you go forward in the year and in the next couple of years, just to, to make sure that, uh, you know, your, your foot heals the way that it's supposed to. And, um, you know, I, I really enjoyed reading your blog. You have a great perspective on things and, and I really do wish you the very best. Thanks a lot for being on the show this week. Thank you so much. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Terminal Mile. Big thanks to my guest this week, Jessica Furlan, as well as to Tracky.ca for their ongoing support. If you want to find us online, you can do that on Twitter at the Terminal Mile. You can also find us on Instagram under the same handle. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and of course, Tracky.ca. Thanks to you for listening. This has been the Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production.